Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. Psalm 103, we are actually in our third uh, message from this passage. If you want to catch the other two, we do have them on the website, morning and evening, last week. And uh, today we're going to do the exact same pattern, and uh, discussing the buckets of God's mercy. I like to phrase it, buckets of mercy. When we get uh, out of step with our Lord, which... We tend to do from time to time, don't we? Uh, mercy is usually not the, the immediate thought in our minds when we know that we have disobeyed him. Uh, usually it's something more like a woodshed uh, type of a thought that might go through our minds. It's as if the Lord took the, the faucet of mercy and turned it off. You ever feel that way? Like it's just turned off and all you can say is, Lord, can't you just let it drip a little bit here and there? And instead, what we're learning from this psalm is not that the faucet ever turns off. He comes to us with buckets. Actually, the better picture would be dump truck loads, but I can't fit one on my table. So I've got to go with a bucket. Uh, he brings us much, much more than we would have thought that we know we deserve. He just provides over and over. We're going to talk about the character of God's mercy today. And it's a precious section of this psalm. Psalm 103. We're going to look at verses 6 through verse number 8. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Lord, today we're going to spend our time reflecting upon your character. And certainly we thank you that you have recorded it so well in your word. And you have recorded it so well in our experiences. Our minds are, 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 are capable of going at those events in our lives where you have showered us with your mercy, just that we might come to know you as our Lord and Savior. What you have done to save us from our sins, Lord, what an incredible act of mercy. We thank you, Lord, for it. And even now as we give our attention to your word, may our hearts be warmed again 
with your great compassion and mercy. And may it draw us to a place where we worship you all the more. Thank you for all that you give to us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have three views today of God's merciful character. It's right here in in this verse, and each verse represents a different view that we will have. Uh, We're going to see his righteous actions in the very first verse, verse 6. His revealing actions in verse uh, 7, and his remarkable actions in verse number 8. And his mercy is just something that's hard to... uh, to put into words, we expressed that last week as well. And even as we begin this study again, verse number 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious. It doesn't say the Lord will be, though we know that's true. And it doesn't say the Lord was, like something's happened and that's changed. Do you like the word is right there in the, the middle of that thought? The Lord is, is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. That's a very fitting and and wonderful theological concept. He is, right? We can count on that. And as we look at these, these words again here today, when we speak of righteous, I think it's kind of interesting in verse number 6, there are two words here that, that kind of stand out to me. One is righteous, and the other is oppressed. They're on two different lines, but they're in that same verse there. The Lord performs, performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Most of the time, I think, we, we, we've got an opinion that God is righteous to us when we come up to the, the standard He expects. When we are able to, to do what's right, then he rewards us by being righteous toward us. When we, when we think that we've somehow earned his, his, his good deeds toward us, his righteous deeds, his good judgments. Sometimes we, we work and think that way, I know. But look at the contrast in these two concepts. His righteous deeds are toward who? The oppressed. That doesn't sound like somebody who could do a whole lot to impress him. They're oppressed, Right? Notice where his, his mercy is directed, toward the oppressed. Righteous is our God. We put that in the list of his attributes, don't we? We can start a list this morning. His attributes, he's God of love, right? Is he the God of love, or was he, or will he be? Which is our best choice? He is, right? God is love. Does he ever change? Does he diminish in love? No? He's consistently a God of love. True? Yes. He's a holy God. Now, is that also one that just kind of fluctuates from day to day? Or is he holy? He is holy. All the time? All the time. We say he is a gracious God. A merciful God. Does that diminish? No? It's consistent with his character. He is always gracious. He's always merciful. He's always just. He's always righteous. Always. Now what's interesting is these these attributes work together. Not one is greater than another. 
not one has, has uh, some sort of uh, greater influence than another in the character of our God. Does he have more love than holiness? No. Is, is he, is he uh, more merciful than he is righteous? Or is he more righteous than he is merciful? Aren't these great thoughts to start this morning? He said, boy, let me catch up. It's early. This God that we worship is all of these things, all of the time, with no changes. That's powerful. That's powerful. As we consider his mercy and his righteousness, they go together. He does not dish out mercy that is not righteous. Sometimes we beg for mercy and we want a little bit of a loophole in there somehow. His righteousness is always dished out with his mercy. Because that's the nature of our God. Everything he does is righteous. Everywhere he leads you is righteous. Still some of my favorite passages are right out of Psalm 23. Where he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's the only path he ever walks down. The only one. And if he's dispensing mercy, guess which path he's on? He's on the righteous path. Alright? His mercy is always right. He doesn't qualify it or change it because of our, our situation or, or some, some fluctuation. He's always righteous in his mercy. I want to show you some verses today. Because I bring that up in verse 6. It mentions his righteous deeds. We're talking about mercy. But if you go over to Isaiah chapter 51. There's a lot of wonderful verses today. But Isaiah 51 says this in verse number 6. Lift up your eyes to the sky. Then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. Yeah. Talking about temporary things. That's not a pleasant way to start the verse, is it? The earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not wane. There's something permanent in the midst of all that's temporary. God's righteousness. And notice what he linked it to. Salvation. Salvation and righteousness in the same sentence. Listed as permanent things in light of that which isn't. Verse number 8 does it as well. This one even sounds even more, yeah. For the moth will eat them like a garment. The grub will eat them like wool. That doesn't sound pleasant either, does it? Temporary things. But my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation to all generations. Permanent. When the Lord speaks of his righteousness, he can put it right next to salvation and say, permanent, won't change. Two wonderful thoughts in the same phrase. Uh, he, he delivers righteousness to the oppressed. That's what our, our passage said here in verse number 6. That's exactly what the Lord has always done. Peter would tell you this in his second epistle, chapter 2. He says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. He can do two things simultaneously. Rescue one group and hold another group accountable. Simultaneously. 
He's able to do that. He will rescue the oppressed, and he will punish the oppressor. We have that picture right there in that little passage. But when we speak of oppressed, we're talking about those who are crushed. They're crushed. The Hebrew word for that is crushed and defrauded, robbed. It even has the idea they've been pressed, they've been deceived, they've even been violated. They're oppressed. Now, here's a question I have for you. Most of the time when we think of such a term like that, it means that somebody on the other side is oppressing, right? This person's oppressed, so somebody's an oppressor. What if we've done that to ourselves? What if we caused the very condition we're in? We have created the scenario that left us crushed and defrauded and, and uh, uh, pressed down like this. Time to time we do, don't we? We've done it ourselves and we know it. We feel that way and we say, well, okay, does that mean God's attention toward us is not going to be different? He's going to say, well, you weren't oppressed because somebody else. You were oppressed because of yourself. I'm going to turn off that faucet a little bit. Is that the nature of our God? Because we deserve it. We used to say the phrase, I guess I still do somewhere, uh, you made your bed, so lie in it. I don't have a verse that matches that, by the way. God never said that, did he? Here's a great picture for you. Go back to Exodus with me. Chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I like to bring up these people at moments like this. These are the folks that God is going to bring out of Egypt, lead them to the promised land. Of course, it's going to amount to about 40 years. But uh, this is the way he, he addresses this. Uh, Exodus chapter 1. Let's see if these guys are oppressed. Verse 8. Now a king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them. Or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves with those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities of Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out. So they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and brick, and all kinds of labor in the field, all the labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Would that be a good picture of oppression? That's pretty intense, isn't it? To live your life that way. They were there for 400 years under oppression of this kind of nature. Um, in chapter 3, chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 6, <coughs> here God is speaking to Moses now, and he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I'm aware of their sufferings. You know, all to this point, they, realized, they were thinking that God didn't care. Matter of fact, they quit talking about him. They, they didn't say anything. Their children grew up without any knowledge of who he was because they thought God had left them there and, and just 
that's all their fate was. They were without any hope. And God says, no, I've heard, I've seen, I know. He says in verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Their cry, verse number 9, the cry of the sons of Israel have come before me. I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Oppressing them. That's same true if I go into the book of Judges many, many, many years later. They were in that same condition again. They were oppressed. They had enemies upon them. They had terrible days, one after another after another. But there was a reason in Judges especially that that came upon them. They had turned their backs on God. And you may say, well, okay, now they deserve the oppression. They already knew what God could do for them and how he took them out of the the bondage, took them into the promised land, and now they chose idols to worship. They turned their back on God and he oppressed them with enemies. You say, ah, that's a different scenario, right? That's a condition of somebody who deserves God's wrath, not his mercy. You know what God told them in Judges? It was out of his mercy he sent them somebody to rescue them. Time after time they disobeyed him. That whole book of Judges is a sad book. It's about 300 years long of oppression. And yet it also shows you God's mercy all the way through it. We don't have time to go through that whole story, but that's very much the nature of sin anyway. It oppresses, it wrongs us, it crushes us, it defrauds us, it ladens us with guilt, it we bear the consequences. We're robbed of joy. We're robbed of life. Presses in and deceives us because sin wants to be our master. In Ephesians it says we used to walk that way. We lived that way. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked according to the workings of the sons of disobedience. All of we, all of we, formerly lived... In the lust of our flesh, we indulge the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Oh, leave them there. They made their bed, right? Is that the next verse? It says the very next words. Next words. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, He made us alive together with Christ. That's a phenomenal thing. A phenomenal thing. Is God right in condemning us? Yes. Is God right in giving us mercy? Yes. You see that? That's righteous in His action. His mercy is always dispensed in a right way. I'm glad He does it. I'm so glad he does it. This is the character of his mercy, and it will always be that way, folks. Always be that way. God never alters his mercy. It's always in, in, in line with his righteousness, in line with his character. That's a righteous mercy. That's what we see in this passage right here. He, he in verse 6 of Psalm 103, the Lord performs righteous deeds. And judgments for all who are oppressed. And what's also wonderful about that is he tells you so. This is not a mystery. This is not something that's a quiet secret that no one has ever known about. 
God has revealed his mercy to us. He doesn't want you to be ignorant of such a thing. I'm glad he didn't leave us ignorant of it. He tells us of his mercy. The very fact that we're alive right now is his merciful actions toward us. But in verse 7, Psalm 103, he made known, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Oh, bring up that group again. He made known to them what he was doing. He made known to them. I want to take you to one of the darkest places in the whole episode, I believe, of the wandering in the wilderness. It's in Exodus 32. This was a frightful scene. I, I would not have wanted to be there. Um, Moses had gone up on the mountain in Sinai to receive the law from the Lord. And while he was up there, the Lord had given him the law, and the Lord stopped. And he says, Moses, go down there. Those people, they're sinning. Wow! Can you imagine sitting there as Moses? They're getting the law from the Lord. He, he's in the glory of God, in the environment, the whole thing. And all of a sudden, God stops. Says, Moses, go down. Go down. Go see what they're doing. Moses came down off that mountain. It says in Exodus 32, this is only three months into a journey, folks. That's going to take 40 years. What a terrible way to start. They didn't know about the 40 years, but they will. But in chapter 32, Moses prays. He came down, he was mad. Moses entreated the Lord, in verse 11, his God, and said, Oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. He says, Lord, you can't wipe them out. I'm praying for mercy. And I'm counting on you, remembering your promise you made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as well. And so Moses comes down from the mountain, verse 15. Now, he just prayed for mercy, right? He just prayed for these people. And he comes down in verse 15, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. Tablets which were written on both sides, and they were written on one side and the other. Um, jump down to verse number 17. Now, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a sound of war in the camp. But he says, It's not the sound of a cry of triumph. It's not the sound of a cry of defeat. It's a sound of singing I hear. And as soon as Moses came into the camp, saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Looks upset, doesn't he? Wow! And the rest of it, you could read that too. What he goes on to, to make the people do. He encounters their sin and you say, Moses, Wow! This is intense. Verse 22. Aaron says, Oh, don't let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. He says, They said to me, Make a God for us. That will go before us. 
for this Moses, the man who brought it up from the land of Egypt. We don't even know what became of him. So I said, all right, tear off your gold, throw it into this fire, threw it into the fire, and it came out of calf. What an amazing thing. Here's Aaron trying to smooth it all out, right? It's okay, Moses, relax. You know all the bad, right? They're just bad people anyway. So there's, there's, there's nothing you could have expected here. Just relax. No need to, to get so upset. But Moses goes back to prayer. Verse number 30. On the next day, Moses said to the people, watch these words. You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I'm going to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Boy, doesn't he leave them hanging there. How many times have you said something almost like that to your kids? You know what you're going to do later in the day. You've got tickets for this or that or whatever. And they're acting up. And so what do you always threaten them with? You're not going to get to go, right? You just leave them that terrible scenario for half the day because they feel guilty. They just ruined their whole day. All these things. What did Moses just say to these people? Oh, you sinned terribly. I'm going to talk to the Lord and maybe he might forgive you. Boy, that leaves you hanging, doesn't it? So he says, I'm going to do that. Moses returns to the Lord. He says in verse 31, Alas, the people have committed a great sin. They made for them a god of gold for themselves. Now, God didn't need that instruction. He already knew it. But now, if you will, forgive their sins. And if not, please blot me out of your book which you have written. Would you call that bold? But it's very, very untheological. He's trying to say, Lord, in, in a sense, he, he's manipulating here forgiveness, isn't he? He's saying, Lord, either forgive them or take me off your list. He's using some sort of a manipulation technique with the Lord to get this forgiveness. The Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Reminding him, it's my job, not yours. You don't manipulate forgiveness with God. It's the Lord's character that's in question here. Moses is praying again for mercy. Blot me out of the book. So, the Lord changes his plans, and there's more to this this story. But in the midst of all this, this is what Moses says in verse 12. Jump over there to 33.12. Right in the middle of all this conflict and, and question, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you yourselves have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you also found favor in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. That is a powerful question, a request. Lord, let me know your ways that I may know you. He, he's come to realize, this God operates at a different level of mercy and forgiveness than what I would. This God is different than anything else people might worship. This God can forgive. Powerfully. He says, let me know you. Have you asked that prayer of the Lord lately? Lord, let me know you. Let me know your ways. Let me know your ways. He asks for that. The, the, the Psalms are full of this. If we had time, we'd go through Psalm 119. That's 176 verses. All right? We don't have time. But if we did, right in the, toward the end of that, Psalm 
130 and all the way through the eight verses to follow, it says, the unfolding of your word gives light. Unfolding of your word gives light. It, it gives understanding. And so I stand there with my mouth open wide like a bird. <laughs> Feed me with knowledge of your way. Feed me with knowledge of your way. Treat me in the way that you would treat those that you love. Order my steps and fashion and, and prepare and make my steps so that sin doesn't have dominion over me. Rescue me from man's oppression. He goes on to say in that psalm, he says, Make your face shine upon your servant and bless me and favor me, but teach me. That's his plea. Teach me. Teach me. Reveal your things to me. Let me know them. Let me learn them. Now, folks, if we're going to get to know this God, we have to read His Word, right? In His Word, it tells us about Him. He reveals Himself to us. We see these stories of Moses and the uh, folks in the days of Judges and other places. And every time we get a glimpse of our God and His mercy, don't we? Over and over and over, He has revealed Himself and revealed Himself and revealed Himself. How many times can the Lord forgive? What did He require of His disciples one day? How about 490 times? That's a pretty large amount. Would that fit in a bucket? How many times uh, do, do we think that the Lord is going to forgive us? Like baseball? Three strikes? You're out. I think some of us, I'm going to use a balloon for an illustration, have this concept of sin. Really. We go and do something wrong. There's bad attitude. <laughs> then we uh, realize, uh, you know, somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do, and all of a sudden, we're angry. And our words are not very appropriate. Then we get in the car. We start driving down the street, and you know who's in front of you who goes only three miles an hour? And you're in a hurry. That's what you're thinking. And you start to think, you know, I keep doing these things throughout the day. What's God's limit before I pop? When does he judge me and blow me up? Oh, I just got past that driver, and now I'm heading to work and I'm late. That's what I'm thinking about the other drivers. And then my boss is not in a good mood. Guess what? That doesn't help, does it? So there I am in a bad mood at work. Somebody calls and they've got a problem. And you didn't want to deal with that person because they have a problem every day. And you start that conversation with, guess what? This attitude you've been working on all day long. How many more things can we fill up? When's the wrath of God about to strike? Oh, we, we cover the day okay. We get through everything, you know. Maybe there was one or two things we had to just fudge a little bit on just because it made it easier to do the job. We start heading home. We've got a family waiting for us. And we're ready for that, aren't we? Homework that needs done, and you wonder why they can't think. You never say it that way, do you? 
You get nervous yet? This is the way we think of sin, don't we? Like we're waiting for something to pop. We're just waiting for that one last thing that breaks the camel's back. That God is going to say, yep, I'm done with you. You filled it. You know what? I'm so glad his mercy is true. For too often we live like a balloon, don't we? We just fill up our day. And then we're waiting for the, the big one. And God says, nope. You know how far he, he, he takes our sins away from us? How far is the east from the west? How, how, is, how deep is the ocean? There's all kinds of beautiful phrases. When the Lord says, I forgive you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Isn't that a beautiful thing? All the while we thought we needed to pop. And he was justified. But he's merciful. I can tell you stories after stories of Israel. Man, they should have popped. But God was not silent about his mercy. Over and over he's recorded it in this book before us. He showed us the character of his mercy, the character of his mercy, the character of his mercy. That's not greater than anything else, but that's just as great as everything else. His mercy has always been in righteousness, and it's always been revealed. We're not ignorant of it, are we? Beautiful thing that God has revealed to us, his mercy. We have one more. His mercy is characterized by his remarkable actions. The same Psalm 103, verse number 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You say, I've heard that before. Right? You've seen that same verse, haven't you? You say, well, there it is. I was wondering where that verse was. Folks, that verse is everywhere. This isn't the only example of it. Matter of fact, one of the first times you're going to find it is in Exodus 34. That's where Moses is pleading with the Lord. And the Lord, finally, Moses says, Lord, 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 just walk in front of me. That's where he led to with the rest of that prayer. Just walk in front of me and let me see you. The Lord says, okay, I'll walk in front of you. I'm going to shield your eyes and all these things. And you know how that story works. But as he's walking in front of Moses, these are his words in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Moses was having an issue with anger. And the Lord tells, this is my way. I'm compassionate and gracious and slow. That's the first time it's, repeated, it's stated in Scripture. Now to be slow to, to anger... It's kind of funny in the Hebrew. It means to have long nostrils. You say, weird idea. What's that? Long nostrils. Well, they say when you get mad, you, <laughs> you start panting. You know, you're breathing through your nose. Well, the idea is that he's long on wrath. If you like microwave things, that means short. If you like macro things, that's supposed to be long. In the Greek, those two concepts, they're opposites. Micro and macro. This is macrothumos in the Greek, which means long on anger. That means he's got a long fuse, as we would say it. He's patient. He, he's, he's, he's uh, as this word says here, 
He is slow to anger, slow to anger, slow to anger. Nehemiah had the same thing when he's talking about Israel and rehearsing with them their sins. And Nehemiah had to deal with them in, in such a way too. Uh, the Jews kept getting into trouble and he says, but they refused to listen. He says, they did not remember the wondrous deeds which you have performed among them. So they became stubborn and they appointed a leader to return to slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, he says. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. Psalm 86, verse 15. But thou, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 145. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Joel, you haven't studied Joel in a while perhaps, one of the most fiery prophets we've got in the minor prophets. What's he say? Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Jonah, you like the story of Jonah? What kind of mood was he in? Wow. You know what? Even in his mood, he said things that were theologically sound. He was waiting for the Lord just to blow him up. And this is what he said. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I, what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that's God's character to forgive them. Peter, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Have you seen that now? Over and over and over in the pages of Scripture, we could be here all day, couldn't we? To see the episode after episode after episode of our sins and God's forgiveness. Now, we can also step into our own lives and mark that too, can't we? Episode after episode after episode of our sin and God's compassion. Of God's compassion. He's abounding in mercy. He's mighty in mercy. His mercy specified is gracious. His mercy qualified is slow to anger. His mercy amplified is that he gives it in riches. Doesn't he? Rich in mercy. He pours it upon us. I like the way Spurgeon said this. He says, all the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. The saints, though, live by his saving mercy, preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy. Aren't you glad you're on this side of the cross? It's abundant, folks. It's abundant. He has showered us with abundant mercy. When's the last time you thanked him? For the buckets of mercy. When's the last time we stopped and said, Thank you, Lord, 
for this great mercy toward us. In your actions toward us, you've always been righteous, but you've always been merciful. You have revealed this to us and not left us ignorant of your ways. You have done these remarkable things in our presence to forgive us when we certainly did not deserve it. Huh. You know, when you walk through this psalm, and we haven't gone all the way through yet, there is not one request in this entire psalm. It's only a statement of God in His merciful ways. His character. There's no requests. There's no pleas. There's only praise. There's only praise. I think this is a good place for us to start to practice. What do you think? Praise Him. Praise Him. As the psalm started, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. This morning... We've talked about God's mercy, and I, I appeal to you as one who stands in this world right now. God's attention toward you. The book of Rome, or John tells us that those who do not know the Lord, who are not believers, they are under the wrath of God. They abide under the wrath of God. Might be where you're at today. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where you are. There's a God with great mercy who wants to dispense every bit of it on you. He's already shown you how much He loves you. How did He prove that to us? How does God demonstrate His own love toward us? Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ went to a cross that he might die and pay the penalty for our sins, that God's mercy might be dispensed upon us, that we might have a relationship with him. Is that where you are today? Do you need that mercy? you need to know Christ as Savior? I appeal to you, just like it says in Isaiah, it says these, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And return to our God, he will abundantly pardon. Do you need that today? I know where you're going to find it. There is a God who is all mercy, as well as all righteous, and all loving, and all holy, and all just. And He wants to dispense every bit of His character into your life. He wants you to come to know Christ as Savior. And He wants to start with a new creature in Christ and let you walk. Walk in His mercy. You want to be there today? Appeal to Him. Pray to Him. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Do you know that? That's God's mercy. You who are believers in Christ. What you been doing with your last week? You been filling the balloon? You feel like, I'm really uncomfortable now. You been filling the balloon? Who do you want to talk to about that? Who's the only one who can forgive you completely? Who's the only one who could cleanse it all out? Who's the only one who, who's so conscious of your every moment, your every thought, every word before you even say it? Who is that one that you need to talk to this morning? Isn't it the same God? The one who saved you is the one who loves you. He hasn't diminished in his love for you. He hasn't turned off the faucet of mercy, has he? It's there. You're going to talk to him this morning? He's the one who calls us just like he calls the rest of this world. Hey, forsake those ways. 
Come to me. You will find compassion. You will find that I abundantly forgive. You know those things. Go talk to the one whose character is true. Go talk to him. We're going to have a, a moment of prayer here. Let's remember the character of the God we're talking to. If you need to make things right with him this morning, do that. He's ready. He's got a bucket. He's ready. Heavenly Father, you know every single heart in this room. You know where we've been, what we've done. You know what we said, what we thought. Nothing hidden from your sight. Lord, that's overwhelming on our part when we consider that. We're used to expecting severe condemnation. And surely sin has its definite severe condemnation for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of life is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, that's made a big difference in our life. I trust it's making a big difference in somebody's life here this morning who needs to know Christ as Savior. Let them realize, Lord, that uh, the mercy of the cross is extended to them. Even now, through faith in Jesus Christ, they can be made whole. They can have a right relationship with you in peace with God. They can have this mercy if they come to know Christ as Savior. They can call to you right now, Lord, and I hope somebody does in our group. But for the rest of us, Lord, who have known you, and, and we have not lived like we've known you. We've walked in ways contrary to yours. We've filled up our blooms. Thank you for the fact that you're a merciful God. You do not change your ways. We come to you today, Lord, and just like John would tell us, uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He stands before and pleads on our behalf. And we are made clean. Thank you, Lord, for such mercy. Thank you for your character that you do not change. We count on that today. We stand right in your presence and praise you, Lord, for it. May we rejoice this day knowing, knowing the God of mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.